0: Well, let's let's get started, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Lesson number three in truths about our tongue. And if you uh, remember the course we've charted so far with our six part series after tonight, we'll be halfway and then we'll have three more next week, not next week. We have three more starting next week. Um, And we all started with my terrible tongue, going to the book of James, right? Again, if you don't have that handout, we do have in the back, as well as uh, lesson two as well. But James taught us so clearly, didn't he? If we remember back in James chapter three, that the tongue's a fire. And though the tongue is so small, we vastly underestimate its power and its influence. Don't we all do that? It's just a wee little tongue. They're just words Jesus cares about my heart, not what I say. And we came to the conclusion, looking at the scriptures, our words are very important because they display the very thing God cares about, the heart. He does care about what we say and how we say it. And we got to lesson two, we got to the heart of our speech. God specializes in heart change. Any amens out there? Thank you, Lord. Our hearts are deceitful. They're wicked. Who can know them? Oh, God knows our heart. And God has covenanted with us to give us new hearts in Jesus Christ, right? In getting to the heart of my speech, we often regret what we say, don't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... Hurt me. What do we call that? One big fat lie. lie. (laughs) Oh, good. You guys were listening. (laughs) That's a lie. We've been hurt by words. We've hurt others with our words. And we see that happen over time, and we want to change. And many times we employ the wrong things to change, not just in our speech, but our actions. We try to change our moral outward behavior in some way and jesus spoke about this in matthew 15 you know the passage right i believe you might i don't know if you have that in your handout or not but up in the screen matthew 15 18 through 20 says but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart you guys know that you've heard that and this defiles a person for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual morality theft false witness slander out of the heart. We speak these things, but they come from the heart. And these are what defile the person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Jesus declares that the heart is the real culprit that defiles someone. It's not what's seen on the outside. Address the heart, and you'll address the outward behavior. And therefore, just cleaning up your act, speech therapy, Right? Outward cleansing is not the solution to rectify ungodly speech. So I have a a home, I have a basement, and let's just pretend I have a flood. Water's rising rapidly. Uh, I want to get the water out. Now, a good engineer's gonna get a pump, right? And start getting that out. I know a lot of boundless college students. I'm gonna get on the horn. (laughs) And uh, I got a lot of buckets downstairs. Let's, help me, help me. Water keeps going up. We start consulting with each other. Maybe we could open a window and get some more water out. It's getting that high. Maybe just, how about the door? I have a walkout basement. It's still rising. And we kind of put our heads together, and someone finally says, you know, maybe we should kind of find where this water's coming from. Let's let's find the leak. Let's find the, the pipe that's broken, whatever it is. Oh, how we want to address our tongue and our outward behavior just by just just through with a gut right through just outright effort in in just moralizing or cleansing the outside and jesus says go to the heart go to the source of the problem and james 4 mentioned the problem it spoke on this clearly last week what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James chapter 4 verse 1. What we're reminded of here is there's a direct correlation, a direct connection between the desires of my inward heart and my outward behavior. These desires are fighting for control in my heart. And these desires can be inherently good desires but they're ones we want too much we call them ruling desires right idolatrous desires and our tongues reveal self-serving desires when we sin with our speech so when i say something out of line sinful speech anger complaining swearing, you can ask yourself Idols of the heart, what are the root sin? What's the sin behind the sin? Now, of course, we can address our hearts in the proper way and say good things, right? Out of a good heart come treasures of good things. In 2 Corinthians five nine, when our heart is set on God's glory, his purposes, it's centered on him more than me. As we grow in our Christian faith, we're, we're growing in our sanctification more and more. As we make it about him, our speech and our actions are transformed. They're more Christ-like, right? And then I think with that we should be encouraged. We're going to look at some heavy stuff tonight. We're going to look at sins of the tongue. I mean, we thought week one, it was hard, right? We're looking at a tongue that can't be controlled, and it's sinful, and it's wicked, and it controls the show. And today we'll be looking at the sinful Speech, sinful tongue, sinful words. And we'll tell you why that's so important. We do a review like that tonight as we, as we go through this. But make no mistake about it. When we become more like Jesus, our hearts are being transformed. As we transform our hearts to his purposes, guess what? These things follow. We, we are what we desire. We are, are what, the, the things that dominate our hearts come out in what we say and do. And when you focus on the heart, it will come out in your speech and your actions. It's just not about changing our speech here as much as we want to do that. It's about making God gloried, gloried and, and, and enhancing his reputation and making him the center of my life and the reason why he saved me, right? It's, it's all about making him look good, not Rich Brown, not, not any one of us. So tonight, as we go to our lesson number three we're going to be identifying destructive words and their sinful roots so our key thoughts for today there's two of them all right you should see that on your sheet or you can look up on the screen we want to identify the specific sins of your tongue to bring to god a confession and repentance okay so we're going to look at a laundry list if you will of uh dirty laundry uh the dirty sins of the tongue that we know all too well But I want us to look at them afresh and reconsider perhaps some things we have not taken as seriously as we should and and just really making god's opinion about these things uh, first and foremost in our hearts and lives then the second key thought for today is to know your heart listen to your speech to change your speech address your heart all right so we're going to keep talking about the heart as we talk about the tongue now you see a lot of different sins of the tongue on your handout. And so we're going to go through them one by one in a few minutes here. We're only going to hit the high points of these, okay? Uh, you could take lying and make uh, an equipping class out of lying, right? Uh, and all the nuances and different ways we can lie, right? Uh, we're going to take a few minutes on each of these. And some of the homework we've given you, I've given you in previous weeks, is just really thinking about, sinful tongues, you know, the things you struggle with. Not all of us struggle with the same uh, sin problems in our lives, and, and that's certainly true with uh, the area of the tongue. But whatever your area is, whatever what t- uh, tongue issue you run into, pay attention to that. And what you'll see after each uh, Information I have there about each sins of the tongue. You'll see other references there for more study, okay? And I want you to look at that as well. I also want to turn, if you could turn to the last page in your handout, you'll see a spreadsheet there. All right. I'm an engineer. I had to get a spreadsheet in somehow, okay? And here's your spreadsheet. Um, last week, we talked about different categories of ruling desires of our heart. How do we know what's really controlling the show here? What is it I'm I'm desiring too much or that's ruling myself, that's self-centered, more than God-centered, that ends up being the root of what I say that's sinful? And we looked at four different categories. We might put them in. There may be more. Power and success, control and certainty, approval and esteem, comfort and ease. You see those on the top row. And on the left, you're going to see the different sins of the tongue we're going to cover tonight. If you've been thinking along, or if you're going to be thinking tonight about these sins of the tongue, think about that problem area. Which is it along that left column I struggle with? And then make your way to the right, and you just, you might want to asterisk one of those squares. One of those ruling categories, those ruling desires, that you may be understanding is what's behind why I sin the way I do with my tongue in the way I do it, the way I often say it. You understand what I'm saying there? So we'll, 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 we'll go through some examples of that as we go through. We won't be able to do that in every sin of the tongue tonight. But take notes there. As we're talking, you might be thinking, wow, that's why I gravitate towards gossip. I'm looking at the sheet here, and I I crave attention. I'm, I'm fearing the praise of men and, and the attention I get when I listen or say Gossip. And I've made man's opinion more important than God's opinion. I fear man more than I fear God. And you'll asterisk that square there and give that more thought and prayer in the next week. We'll talk about other examples as we go, but, and much of which we can't cover tonight. But this is something you can work on as we want our tongues to reflect more of the glory of God and less about ourselves. Let's talk about battling the sins of my tongue before we jump into those sins of the tongue. (laughs) Lou Priolo, as Pastor just mentioned, who will uh, be here at our Truth and Light Conference this year, has been here before. I appreciate many of his resources. Uh, I've listed some things here uh, that's adapted from his book, Deception, Letting Go of Lying. It's about battling the sins of the tongue at two different levels. We've talked about this a little bit already. I'm going to quickly review it again to be thinking about this as we go through the sins of the tongue and you see uh, number one here if i'm going to battle sins of the tongue i have to address the specific speech the sinful speech i'm saying right makes sense i need to identify the sinful speech and how i'm specifically saying it these are sins of the moment they appear on the surface We feel guilty, the Holy Spirit convicts, and we must fight to win the battle in the moment, right? When we fight sin, you've heard these words before, like Ephesians 4 says, I must put off sinful words, and I must put on a godly replacement, godly words. Forsaking sin, choosing to obey, hand-to-hand combat in the trenches. I must deal with the sin of the moment. We just don't let that go. But, oh, isn't that easy to be grumbling and complaining? Or gossiping, or flattering, and going on, and not, and just thinking, "Well, I'll get to that later." When we sin, we must deal with it, as God says to. So we identify our sinful speech, how we say it. We confess the sin to God, make things right with men. First John one nine, confessing our sin to God, He's faithful, He's just, He'll forgive us our sin, He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must do that in the moment, right? And if we've hurt others we clear our conscience and make things right with god and others when we confess those sins i must tell you some of my best some of the some of the memories that are most ingrained in my mind over the years sometimes going back 30 40 years are those who have come back to me asking forgiveness for something they said they shouldn't have to me pastors leaders churchgoers I mean, some of these, I'll go back, I'm telling you, 40 years. Why do I remember those? Why do those come to my mind? Well, first of all, it's a great act of humility to say, what I said was wrong, will you forgive me? And secondly, I think if we all would agree, it's pretty rare. It's just rare. We just don't do that, do we? We don't, we don't, we don't think, I'll get it right with God, but not others. And it's so important for the unity and the harmony of the church That we not only love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, but that we love others as ourselves. And wow, how meaningful that can be for us to humble ourselves and do that. And then we put off our sinful speech and put on godly replacements. And we won't have time tonight to go to Ephesians 4. But it all talks about putting off and putting on. It's not living as the Gentiles do, but it's living our new identity in Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we put off the sins of our former manner of living. The, 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 the sinful self that we've died to in Christ and now we're in union with him and now I'm putting on the new self. So what are we doing? We're going to put off these sins of the tongue. I'm not going to say them and we're going to put on a godly replacement. We're going to fill that in. I'm just not going to stop gossiping but I'm going to start saying edifying, good, kind, profitable words in its place. It's both. It's an exchange. This is repentance, right? It's turning away from sin and it's putting on a godly replacement. It's a full turn. You know, don't do the 90-degree deal, all right, where I'm just going to stop, put on a replacement. We'll be talking about that uh, tonight, okay? So today we're going to talk about, well, actually tonight we're going to talk about what we're putting off. Mostly next week we're going to be talking about what we're going to put on as replacements, okay? And then, of course, as we've been talking, battling the sins of my tongue at two levels. Level number two, address the underlying idols of the heart. Think about these tonight as we're going through the different sins of the tongue. Remember, these are ruling desires of the heart. They tempt me to speak sinfully because of these desires that are fighting for supremacy that I'm trying to protect. When we address the underlying idols of the heart, this is when we look for the source of the leak, right? I'm not just working to get things looking good on the outside, but this is where we're working on a consistent, long-term commitment to refashion the desires of my heart. Fight to win the war. That's the long-term strategy here when we get to the issues of the heart. In point number one, addressing the specific sins of the tongue, what am I doing? This is triage, right? Multiple times a day I need to be asking for uh Just God's forgiveness and confessing things I've said or done that are wrong and replace those things with godly replacements, right? I may be doing that every day. But when we fight to win the war here, I need to be consistently working at fashioning my heart and changing it to be more like God and less about me. It's about me decreasing, God increasing, right? So we're talking about identifying these ruling desires that are categorized on that last page that we referenced earlier. We confess those things and we exchange these idols with a fear and trust in God. And we'll talk about that a little bit. All right. You ready to get in the sins of the tongue? Grumbling and complaining. Oh, Lord, help us with this one. Uh I'm not going to start complaining about my grumbling heart here, okay? So we won't go in that direction. Um, grumbling and complaining. Philippians 2.14. You'll see in each of these, I'll, I'll give a definition and a little verse here. We'll talk about a few references along the way. but Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many things will we not to grumble about? All things. What, what is that again? How do you spell all? <laughs> A-L-L. That's, that's everything, isn't it? No grumbling. No, there's no room for grumbling or complaining if we're going to satisfy God and have pure and godly speech. None. Look at the definition. A display of dissatisfaction in one's circumstances that ultimately, that's ultimately rooted, again, going down to the issues of the heart here, it's ultimately rooted in the unbelief of God's promises and provisions. Grumbling and <coughs> complaining grumbling and complaining is very it's very commonplace, isn't it? It almost seems just natural. This is how we talk. this is how we communicate. I mean, what, what else are we going to talk about unless there's something to complain about, right? Something to grumble about, something to whine about something that's not going right. <coughs> be a rather convicting thing oftentimes our fellowship starters is just a grumbling and a complaining whining about something and that should never be should it but oh how we give it a pass Thomas Manson an English Puritan doesn't give it a pass he said this he called grumbling the scum of discontent and he called it the vent of impatience Psalm seventy-eight recounts the grumblings and rebellions against God in the desert, Uh, God's people. It greatly angered God. We see that many places. Remember Korah's rebellion. Just God, just opening up the earth and swallowing them, and then God bringing just a a, a great disaster, uh, a plague. You know, just uh, killing fourteen thousand seven hundred until Mo- Moses offered up an atonement as they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. In Psalm 78-2, we see the cause of their grumbling. It said this, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Disbelief. Disbelief in God's promises. Unbelief in who God says he is. That's the root of grumbling and complaining. And if we think about it, here, the root sin and many say this, this is not me, but I'm just many that say this. It's not logically true, the root sin here is discontentment. It's being discontented in unbelief. In unbelief, I'm denying God's goodness, I'm denying his power, I'm denying his sovereignty, I'm denying his love. When I murmur and complain, Romans 8:28 says, "He works all things together for the good. There's that word all again. How do you spell that? A-L-L, all. He works all things for the good. Why? He's making me like Jesus? And does that mean when something's <clears throat> uncomfortable or difficult or unexpected that I should be that, that gives me a pass to grumble and complain when his purpose is to make me more like Jesus? Romans eight, twenty eight and twenty nine. Discontentment. Contentment is a God oriented disposition of peace and satisfaction in any and all circumstances. A God-oriented disposition of peace and satisfaction in any and all circumstances. You see, I think, uh, did I have a Jeremy Burroughs quote there? He said this on contentment, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Uh, One of our lessons we had on the tongue here, I spoke about, my complaint about Waterlick Road over here, uh, putting that little concrete barrier there that doesn't let me take my left turn in like I used to. Anyone else grumbling? I, I, I kind of hear the murmuring already here just in the crowd. Uh, you've experienced that as well. We go through two extra lights and more barrels, and I was talking to John Mark today as we were going into Boundless. Maybe we get a few Boundless people to move some of those barrels because it's really backing up on Timberlake right now, and that line looks, the, the lane there looks fine. Oh, wow. And uh, when it caught me again this morning, I'm going in to church, Christy and I, early service, rolling up there near the barbershop, ready to take my left. Hmm. Can't take my left. Uh, At least not my Hyundai. It's not going to jump that curb very well. (laughs) And uh, I caught myself this time. We've been talking about the tongue. You know, I'm, I'm not... I need to be a good example at least in front of my wife and for me to tell you with a clear conscience right and, and I'm telling the truth here but I Christy may remember I didn't say anything this morning I was tempted to it, it, it came I put it off I put off whining and taking Christy down this hole with me right here we are ready to go into church I don't want to hear words from our pastor we want to hear what God has to say we want to meet with God's people And that's not a place to take my wife or my heart before I go in to church. And I put it off. So we're waiting at the light. And I see the sun coming up. And I start thinking thoughts about the Lord. Lord, what a beautiful day. I'm replacing. I'm replacing, right? I'm putting on things. And rather than take Christy down the hole of misery, I'm just, I start sharing with her. I'm looking forward to today. Oh, we got some good things planned today. Uh, I'm looking forward to ministry. Uh, you know, look, looking forward to being with our boundless people a, a little bit later. And we started talking about edifying things. What did I do? I replaced it. That's the battle. That's the skirmish, right? Don't go down the hole. Don't go down that path. Put it off and put on something edifying in its place, okay? You might be thinking, what are my ruling desires and idols when I grumbled and complained about not having my left lane? to turn in again there at the barbershop to make my life a little easier, right? Well, what were my ruling desires? If you look at that last page, right, you can look across there. Maybe you thinking think there, but for me, for me, it was about control and certainty. That's my deal. That's where X marks the spot for rich with the road work out here. I'm fighting for control that God took away from me, and now he's testing my heart and I'm finding out the things I desire to do well, I'm making them too important. Getting to church on time, going according to my plan the way I want it done, and God did it. He chose to do it differently. The way, I, the way I was thinking there was not God-ordained. Okay, I'm discontented with the circumstances that God's wisdom, love, goodness, and sovereignty ordered here. It reminded me that today's not about my plans, it's about God's mission. He's here to make me more like Jesus. And God, if you want to use a curveball here to do that, then do it. Now, it could be other things as well, but for me, it's control and certainty. All right? That's how I want you to use this. So I need to relinquish more of God's plan for me in those moments and work on fashioning my desire after God god in his timing rather than my own and of course life will go a little easier if i just leave home a little earlier instead of trying to roll in when i would normally do when i could take a left-hand turn right and god's teaching me how to reorder my life in that way all right we could talk more about that later but rather than do that let's go to flattery all right the sin of flattery a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet what is flattery it is a lie Disguise it as an encouragement that's fueled from a selfish motive to manipulate. A lot of words there. What we're basically saying here is flattery It's a form of lying. It's very insidious though, isn't it? It's presented as a compliment, but it's actually insincere praise. It masquerades as encouragement, but in reality it's just Manipulation to achieve a selfish end. If you look at your handout there, you'll see one commentator say this, flattery hypes people but does not help them. Rather, it harms them. You see there the verse we looked at, Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's a deceptive trap. It's harmful. The net is harmful to the recipient of flattery. Why? because they're believing something that's not true. You've encouraged them with something with insincere praise based on selfish motives to get something you want, but it was insincere, it wasn't true. An example, you might convince someone of their superior abilities above and beyond logic, right? You know, We know that person doesn't have these kind of talents, but oh, you pour it on for various reasons. And they come to believe what you have to say about them, right? I mean, we've heard the things before. Everybody's a winner, nobody's a loser, right? Everybody gets the first place trophy, you know. And then eventually, life comes crashing down, and you fall flat. This insincere praise, this flattery, was a trap. I uh, did some fundraisers when I was in college, the College of Engineering. I was part of Alpha Pi Moo. Now, I was not a frat boy, okay? That was just the geeky engineering society I was in. And uh, I would bring in this guy, yes, his name was Mr. Suit, okay? And Mr. Suit, he would come with his truck with all these suit jackets and things for men and we would flood the student union in the college I was going to way back in the day and we would get a cut for every thing that was sold and we did pretty well man there were lines of people getting suits but you can imagine when someone comes up you know in front of the mirror and Mr. Suits there he's not going to say that doesn't look so good he's going to say man you look like a million bucks right you used car salesman kind of guy right <laughs> uh this oh you look perfect sitting there oh man your mama won't recognize this handsome devil he'll say right and then um You get home and your mom informs you, hey, son, polyester jackets were out 40 years ago. And you're like, what? I thought it looked like a million bucks. Uh, In in contrasting flattery to true encouragement, John John Bloom, he's the co-founder of Desiring God, he said this, there's a heaven and hell difference between the two, between encouragement and flattery. Encouragement is truth spoken for the good of another that springs from a loving intent. The motive is far different. It's for the good of the other person. Encouragement. Flattery is our deceptive lies to use other people. And it's under the guise of loving intentions. All right? It's a ruse. You could say from 1 Corinthians 13 that love never flatters. Rather, What does it say? It rejoices in the truth. Flattery butters up to gain favor, right? And the Bible says the opposite. Proverbs 28, 23 says this, whoever whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Here rebuke is contrasted to flattery. Why? Why? Why is it more profitable to hear the ugly truth of something that needs to change in my life? Because a rebuke speaks the truth. Now, it needs to be done in love, right? But even though it may hurt, the intention is a loving concern for a good end, a fruitful end, an edifying end to the recipient who hears it. But flattery is a lie. It's a lie. It looks to achieve a selfish end by manipulating the hearer under the guise of encouragement it's very insidious so think with me a a boundless student right a guy he's looking maybe to be married someday and there's young ladies around him and he desperately wants to be to have this this deal finished (laughs) by the senior year right so what does he do he may be tempted to start flattering ladies right to start saying things way above and beyond what needs to be said their appearance, what they're wearing, how they smell today, right? These are friends, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, There's an issue with the heart there, right? When it goes this far, it's not that it isn't a good compliment, but you know the difference here, right? And married men, of course, can do the same thing. Oh, we can just speak of a a nice-looking lady and say something flattering. And we may not have any intention whatsoever to disrupt the marriage God has blessed us with but oh with that flattering tongue we can set off a course a fire right the tongue's a fire and start saying things that shouldn't ever be said got to draw a line so think about ruling desires here right if you look at that last page again um, what are ruling desires and idols when I flatter with my tongue you can think about power and success, right? I use flattery, flattery to ingratiate others to make myself look good so I can accomplish my goals. Hey, or come join me, and I'm going to make sure you join me by telling you and buttering you up in ways that aren't true. If you look at approval and esteem, you might crave attention inordinately, right? Is it good to have fellowship? Is it good to have friends? Of course but we may want it so desperately that we'll sin with our tongue to achieve it. Comfort and ease. Perhaps I can get others to get things. I can get others to do things for me that I'm too lazy to do myself. And I'll tell them how great they are and how talented they are, and they'll come help me. Uh, and it's all out of a heart of laziness. That might be my ruling desire. So again, look at how you use the chart there. Look at this. If you're one that flatters. Look at the categories right in the particular area, and, and this is the ruling desire you want to work on, to win the war, the long-range war against sins of the tongue. All right, let's keep moving. Gossip and slander. Number three, gossip and slander. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs sixteen twenty What is gossip? Gossip is maliciously discussing details about someone else that is often false or sensationalized. All right? Often false or sensationalized. We can say things we shouldn't say that are truthful as well. All right? That, that's certainly included here. But if you go back to verse, uh, Proverbs 16, sixteen twenty eight, you see the whisperer. These are sly, devious, evil intentions, stealthy kind of words, right? You see the fruits of gossip in that verse. Strife, broken relationships, separating close friends, hurt feelings. Caroline Newheiser, biblical counselor, said this, bearing bad news about the definition of uh, gossip and slander. It's bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Gossip, right? Sinful intentions fuel gossip. We're seeking to spread information to the harm of others or to promote ourselves. Let's be honest. Participation in gossip is very alluring, isn't it? It's very tempting to either listen to or to say. There's some sinister desire we have to have the dirt on someone and to be the first to break the news, right? Right? Or perhaps a gossip is our backdoor means to revenge, damaging someone else's reputation. And we start going over to slander, spreading false information about someone with malicious intent. It damages a reputation. What are some principles we can think about here to guard against gossip? Well, first of all, God despises gossip and slander. It's one of the, one of the six things he says he hates in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 17 and verse 19. Think of this. Just because something is factual about someone does not give us the green light to share it. We have to apply wisdom here, okay? We know we start getting in some gray areas. But it can often be very tempting to share gossip, yes, under the guise of a prayer request, right? Oh, we've been there, haven't we? we're gathered for prayer good intentions sincere and all of a sudden it turns into a a time of sharing things that should not be told pastor pharaoh was sharing about physical needs today and boy you you can bet if someone came to your prayer meeting unannounced and you were praying for a physical need that they shared with the church they would be encouraged but oh how different it would be with many things that are truly gossip things we would never say in their presence right and this is one of those ruling principles we have to talk about here to guide us here it requires discernment gossip is shared behind someone's back and you can ask yourself is the person i'm speaking about would they feel comfortable here if i was sharing this in their presence it requires discernment generally i would say this err on the side of saying nothing all right if you're not sure Proverbs 13.3 says this whoever guards his mouth preserves his life he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin gossip is the spokesman, spokesman is spokesmanship for Satan now if you're hearing gossip you might just want to say I don't need to hear about this or I don't need to know about this in a Matthew 18 kind of principle you may say have you spoken directly with the individual?" And here, lo- it's love that rules, right? Love must rule. Love thinks the best, it believes the best, rather than thinking the worst of someone. Gossip and slander. Much, much, much more we could say there. We'll move on. Number four, angry speech. Let's look at other sin of the tongue. Angry speech. Angry speech. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 29, 22. Jim Newheiser defined it this way. I believe it's the uh, definition you have in front of you there and on the screen. Rash and hateful words that arise from pride and selfishness. If you look at that passage there, Proverbs 29, 22, it informs us that strife is the next door neighbor to anger, right? Look at that. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression, dissension, disunity, conflict. They're the consequences that invariably come from the sinful anger of the tongue. We know this shows itself in various ways, right? Temper tantrums, history, hissy fits. It can escalate to physical acts of violence and physical harm. Angry speech is uncontrolled speech. All right? It's releasing harmful, hateful words that bring tremendous hurt. You see there on your sheep, Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, hurtful. They leave pain, they leave consequences, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's a verse I've committed to memory, Proverbs fifteen one. It goes, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Some years ago, I was in a car accident that was my fault. I was going too quick. Christy was at my side, taking a left-hand turn, kind of rolled through the stop sign. Traffic was going there, and I took a, a left into a boulevard area. Boulevards are not my friends. Okay, I don't know what it is, and uh, his car came up and and I and I clipped I clipped the car. It was my fault. Well, the man got out very angry. There were not very good words coming out. Mm-hmm. Christy, stay in the car. <laughs> I'll talk to this man. And this verse came to mind. And I probably did the thing any lawyer would say not to say. It was my fault. <laughs> it was. I didn't see you. I was. I, I should have been looking more carefully. I am so sorry. This was my fault. And all this anger suddenly came down. He started talking to me reasonably. I'm not sure that's always the magic, magic potion, folks. The other great thing here is this man was much larger than I was. Okay. Uh, a little self-preservation there, perhaps. Uh, but. A soft answer turns away wrath. What are the ruling desires of the idol or the idols? We're serving. Going back to that last page. When we speak angry words, if you think about power and success, is it the team member that's holding the team back? And I have angry words to share. You know guys, college students, you know what it's like to work on a team, a group project. We always want to pick who's in our group project, but God's wiser than that. He gives us someone we need. And oh, it's tempting to be angry because they're they're getting in the way of my success. They're good goals to get a good grade. But oh, if this person gets in my way, oh, we can cross them. Maybe control and certainty. That slow driver, right? That's delaying my progress, my plans to be somewhere on time. Another good goal. But oh... The sinful words, the angry words come out, road rage, right? Approval and esteem you see here. They can be vented towards someone who doesn't appreciate me or they're critical of me. I want to hear praises. I don't want to hear criticism. Or perhaps we speak of angry words because we're, we want comfort and ease. We had planned on a good weather weekend. We had planned a nice birthday party, and now it's raining, and now i got to make new plans, or... I had vacation all planned out on the east coast and up comes a hurricane and everything's got to change and we're angry and we're, we 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 complain Let me tell you something it's easy to justify anger we blame circumstances or other people and it just we make it seem like it's out of our control and let me let me tell you it's not hereditary it's not circumstances it's not people it's our hearts Make no mistake, anger is a choice. It's a choice we make. And we're merely reacting sinfully to an unfulfilled desire in our heart. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is the put off. Put them away. You're tempted to be angry? You stop there in the moment, we put this away. What's the replacement? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender tenderhearted, it, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what do we do? We think on the love and grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ on my life, and I want to extend that to others. i want to let that be my ruling desire. And I replace angry words with, Let's say we have this team team member that's not, they're just holding up the team. Well, we do have a project to get done and we do have responsibility and there may be some ministry words you need to have with this individual. That may even be a loving rebuke. That's appropriate, but it's all the tone, it's, it's love, and it's for the good intentions of the other person, right? That would be loving, edifying, replacement words that are godly, the ones we're going to talk about next week. All right, let's keep going along here. We're going to look at the next one. Quarrels, strife, arguments. Another sin of the tongue. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for for kindling strife. Proverbs 26, 21. These are contentious words that fuel strife, arguments, dissension, conflicts, and fights. This type of tongue when we use it, is one that has a penchant, okay? A desire for always throwing the proverbial hand grenade in the middle of a situation. Just won't let a controversy die, right? I'd rather just fuel it up, strife, quarreling, conflict. And the scriptures are telling us here that it is sinful to delight in this kind of verbal combat Combative words are not God's words. You don't have to think long with me that there's much discourse in the town square today, is there not? That's largely argumentative and quarrelsome. It's like the air we breathe these days, isn't it? Bullying, name-calling. They all make these viral Twitter moments, but they're not Christian. This ever-present news cycle, it's not as much about news. It's about inciting us to think a certain way, isn't it? And yes, that includes Fox News, folks. It's them too. Argumentative. We must watch our intake in how we talk and listen with quarreling and argument- argumentation. not to be tolerated. Ask yourself, do you always have an ax to grind? Are you concerned and always whining and complaining and argumentative about the state of our culture or sinners that sin or politicians that act like politicians? Is there always a fault to find in someone else that you want to confront and bring out and just hash out over and over? Do you relish stirring the pot? Getting everything to a boiling point of chaos. You see a, a passage there, Proverbs seventeen fourteen. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Like tipping over a bucket of water that just flows out is quarrelling. Is 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 leading to strife and dissension if we don't stop. Once the, once the bucket tips, there's no stopping it. So let a quarrel lie. Don't pursue arguing. With the time, we're going to keep moving along here. Excessive words, verbosity. Number six, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Verbosity, excessive words. It's speaking many more words than are necessary for the moment or the circumstance. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, it's the habit of talking too much while saying too little. (laughs) And you see what one commentator said I wrote on your sheet. Words are like sheep. The more there are, the better the chances that some will go astray. I mean, think about it. The one who speaks too much is normally a very poor listener, aren't they? They have something to say. And when you always have something to say and you don't listen, well, you're also a pretty, you're a very poor learner. You don't learn well. Why? Well, what, what we believe, if we look at these ruling desires, we believe we have something that deserves greater attention. What we have to say is much more important than what others have to say. Now, look, some of us are more social than others. I wish I was more social like some of you I know are here tonight. I wish words could flow out in edifying, glorifying ways. And we're not saying a volume of edifying words is unwholesome. That's a good thing. But make no mistake about it. The more we talk, the more chances there are to sin. Okay? And sometimes, as it says in Proverbs 10, when we restrain our lips, it is prudent. The last lesson we'll be looking at, lesson number six, we're going to be talking about pursuing, pursue becoming a good listener. And that's how we need to address the sin of verbosity. Work at asking open-ended questions. Engage in the conversation, but let them talk, right? Learn to listen. Learn to take in. And then choose your words carefully. Choose your words judiciously. Proverbs twenty-five, eleven says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's not the volume of words, right? So ask yourself, can I let a comment go by and withstand the urge to always comment and weigh in? Do I always have to say something? Do I believe that meaningless chatter is better than no conversation at all? Am I so uncomfortable with silence that I'm compelled to always say something? Do I pause to listen rather than jumping in to always dominate the conversation? Verbosity, right? How about hasty speech? hasty speech do you see a man who is hasty in his words look at this there is more hope for him than more there's more hope for a fool than for him these are words spoken so quickly that they lack wisdom and discernment proverbs 29:11 says a fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back here again learn to specialize in listening rather than hastily giving an answer before it is thought through. Proverbs 1.5 says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Oh, the number of times I'm on an email string and I just want to throw out that flamethrower. Oh, you know, They've either undercut something I've said before or they've changed my words or something is said that kind of crossed me the wrong way. Some ruling desire. And I'm ready to let it rip, right? And get in the conversation and just throw, throw more wood on that fire. Hasty words, quick. I've done that a number of times and I have learned to hold back. I can't say I'm perfect, but I have learned more and more. Wait. Don't come don't don't answer with what first comes to mind. I can't tell you the number of times I'll look back later in the day and just say, "Thank you, Lord, I didn't say or write what I was planning to write." Lord, preserve me from that. Sometimes we just got to stop there and say what's going to come out won't be profitable and it's better just to stay silent, okay? The heart of a righteous the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs fifteen, twenty-eight. Number eight, boasting. Number eight, prideful, arrogant assertions about one's life or his or her circumstances, future and abilities. And we're not to boast about tomorrow, right? Is it easy to listen to a bragger? You know, uh, I'm a sports fan and you know what the goat is, right? What's the goat? Greatest of all time. You know, if anyone should be able to talk about their abilities and talents it's the goat right but i still can't listen to the goat whatever that sport is or or a- area of life just talk excessively about themselves right boasting about their exploits and how great they are and what happened in 1969 and and just how they're so enthralled with everything they did and they're the goats but there's something about it; it's just hmm, it puts us off doesn't it and think about the goat who speaks humbly about their exploits. What does what that do? If, if it's like Christy and I, were endeared to them. Wow, he's like my hero, right? He may not know the Lord, but I'm, I'm just, I'm gravitating towards this person because he's very humble about his accomplishments or what she has done and is very something very endearing. In our desire to one another, to to serve other people we cannot do it with boastful words that speak about things we may have done that are quite good and have accomplished great things for the lord but oh how it turns people off and rather than this humble attitude that serves the other person and what's important to them rather than ourselves boasting boasting um do not boast about tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Okay? Let's go to the last one here and finish up. Last sin of the tongue for today. Again, this is not an exhaustive list of all the sins, but lies and deception is certainly a lot of them, isn't it? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lies, communication that is blatantly not true. This is the language of the devil. He's the father of lies. And deception, it's that subtle form of lying, right? The white lie, that's a misnomer, right? A white lie is a lie. A half-truth is a lie. If you look there, uh, Lou Priolo had... uh, i thought a good definition deception communication that intends to mislead by misrepresenting or concealing information something that should be known and god's word's clear on the matter of lying right the scriptures command us to speak the truth with our neighbor ephesians 4:25, the ninth commandment right uh, exodus 20:16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor why do we lie why if you look back at your last page again what are the ruling desires and, and idols of my heart when I lie and deceive well think about those categories I might lie for my benefit in advancement in the office right I might lie on a resume to look better I might cheat on a test right that's lying it's not really showing what I study for or know when I cheat And therefore that ruling desire for power or the perfect grade or that A leads to uh, a sinful response. Control and certainty. I might lie to manipulate others or circumstances, right? Or I desire protection from certain circumstances. I'm trying to control things through lying. Approval and esteem. I long for praise, so I'll embellish stories, right? The uh, three-inch... Fish is always a three-foot fish, right? I mean, it's just... And we'll embellish things to look better, to get approval, esteem. We'll stretch the facts. Or comfort and ease. I'm lazy. I will say something I didn't do. Yeah, Mom, I cleaned my room. I did take out the garbage. I got that done. When we really didn't do it. Or we did a half-hearted job, right? Addressing the heart is the key here. So... Here's what we'll we'll close with, right? Remember, we're talking about two levels, right? Watch yourself this week, part of your homework. Watch these sins of the tongue that we might say so casually or it's coming out or you're tempted to say and triage it in the moment. Put it off. Confess it if you said it and put on a replacement, all right? We'll talk about the replacements next week a little bit more, but I think you know many of those already. And then start thinking about the ruling desires of your heart. Why did I say that? What was it I needed so desperately or felt I was, was, was so important that I had to sin to achieve it or not lose it or preserve it? And just use that chart back there if that's of help to you and identify those things. And next week, we'll look at um, the, 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 the profitable use of the tongue. Now, next week is Super Bowl week right? But hey, we do early service now, and I believe the game, I Chrissy, checked check this to be sure, it starts at 6:30, and I will do my best not to get done at 6 10, but 6 p.m., all right? <laughs> so you hold me accountable to that. I just said it, so uh, we'll see if I'm truthful, but I'm going to work on that, and uh, if you are able to come let next week, I would love to have you here. We'll get through a transformed tongue, the replacement tongue, all right, to replace the sinful words next week, all right? Have a great rest of the week, everybody.